0: All right, everybody. Hey, glad to have you guys here with us. How's everybody doing today? Happy Mother's Day to all of you. Seriously, every mom that's here. Um, grandmother that's here, happy Mother's Day to you. I just want to kick it off with that. I want to make sure that you understand uh, how special and how important you are. Today, um, I've got a gift for you, for every mom, all right, a gift for you. Uh, today, I have chosen to speak uh, in our turn teaching series called Dark Rim, um, out of the book of Esther. I, I want you to walk away with a story about a woman that has got such an, an incredible story. I mean, she's courageous. She is bold. She goes through some serious dark rooms. She stands on a powerful stage. You're going to see an amazing story today. Now, I just need to preface it with this. I cannot tell you all the details of the entire story. So you're going to need to go to the book of Esther. You're going to want to read those for yourself. Men, listen, this is not, this is not just for uh, women today. And the book of Esther, just because it's written and the main character is a woman, does not mean... It doesn't have amazing life for you. So I'm just telling you right now, pick up the book of Esther, read it, and let the Holy Spirit speak to your life. Uh, so today i'm going to give that as a gift for you um, we are in our dark room teaching series so if you're a guest with us then let me just preface it by telling you this the dark room right the dark room is that place where the negative is taken and it gets blown up and developed and turned into a picture that eventually gets to sit on a stage for many people to admire and enjoy and today we're looking at that from a spiritual perspective, that God takes each and every one of our lives to the dark room. He develops character in us so that he can stand us on his stage at his time so that we can shine bright for him. And so that's where we're at, and today we're using the book of Esther. All right, are you with me so far? All right, good. Hey, a little history then, a little history. In 597 B.C., All right, so this is before the book of Esther and the whole experience of Esther, But in 597 B.C., the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar II, he invaded Jerusalem. He took the king of Judah and 3,000 Jews. These Jews were ones that were people of authority, people of power, people of wealth, people that could help the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar II, to advance his kingdom. So he takes 3,000 plus the king and he exiles them now with him. They basically are slaves that are living in Babylon, no longer in Jerusalem, um, with, their, with their people and underneath the ruling of their king. And he takes them to Babylon so that he can selfishly gain and he can move forward in his, in his leadership. 58 years later, though, in 539 B.C., uh, the Babylonian Empire is conquered by the Persians. And so now King Nebuchadnezzar II is no longer the king. These 3,000 Jews that have now, you know, obviously over these next few years, they've had children. So there's many more than 3,000. And the Persians come in, the Persians look at the Jews and they go, You guys are no longer slaves with us. Um, we, We don't really need you for anything. You're free to go. Um, you can go back home if you want to go back home So you can only imagine that if you've been in exile now for 58 years that there is a longing for you to go home Right, and so some of them would have made their way home, but others of them they stayed They stayed there in this in this new empire this persian empire And they started to exercise some of the greater freedoms that they may have had uh, but they still—they've been a low class of people, and in 58 years, you don't climb out of the low class of people into some kind of high class. That that takes a, that takes quite a bit of time. So the book of Esther was written during this period of time, and it gives the account of a Persian king, the king Xerxes. All right, so King Xerxes in a Persian Empire was a powerful figure. He obviously what he said happened if he called the sh- he called the shots. Um, if he said a person's dying, they're dying. If he said we're going to change the policies, they're changing the policies. Right? If he said it, it happened. His word was like God's word, if you would. It took place. No matter what the cost was, no matter uh, you know what the ramifications were, when he spoke, it happened. And the king had a queen. Her name was Vashti. And this queen, um, over time, she started to stop admiring the king, if you will. Stop cherishing his voice she wanted a voice of her own and so as as edicts and directions and you know authoritative orders came down to her from the king she started to kind of turn her heart against those and the queen vashti eventually got to a point where she angered the king so much because of her rebellion in her heart and her resistance to his leadership that the king literally wanted her gone he wants her gone so in about 480 bc now almost a hundred years Um, has gone by. Esther shows up on the timeline of life. Esther's a young woman. She's probably in her latter teen years. She's born as a Jew. She's raised in this foreign land. This is all she knows. Esther's never made her way back to Jerusalem. She doesn't know what the capital of her people looks like, feels like, operates like. She doesn't know the culture really, completely of her own people other than what's been passed down. She's a Jew living in a foreign land and she was raised by her cousin, Mordecai. Now, the Bible gives us a little bit of an example, a backstory, if you will, on Esther's life. And so if we're gonna use Esther's life to learn how God develops character in the dark room, we have to unpack a little bit of who she is. So take a look at this scripture in Esther chapter two, verse seven. It says, this man, which was Mordecai, this man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, right, who also was called Esther. Here's something you need to pay attention. Well, what what type of a young woman is she? She's beautiful, and she's lovely, right? Um, and her name is Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. So here we find this young woman, Esther, who's going to be the 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 hero of the story but we're going to learn learn a lot from her dark rooms she's an orphan and right off the bat this is what we see about her this dark room in her childhood of being an orphan being raised without her parents what happened to her parents what happened to both mom and dad as a child was it in one of the battles was it in one of the wars Uh, was it by you know some kind of illness um, what took place? An accident happened. Their parents get murdered. her parents do something that the king didn't like and the king had them, you know, take them down. Like, what happened to her parents? We don't know. But here she is as an orphan and now she's being raised by her cousin Mordecai. So that's one strike that she's got to fight against. And she's a Jew, don't forget, right? She's a minority being raised in this foreign empire, this Persian empire. She's got these two massive identity issues. One of the things that I want to draw your attention to that God uses to develop characters—that character is developed by where you find your identity. Your Christ-like character will be developed or eroded based on where you find your where you find your identity. And we all have darkroom situations that we were born into. Some of us, you know, we were just born into a dark room of poverty, or born into you know a, a minority, or you're born into a nationality that isn't isn't quite. You know, one that people admire, or you're, you're born into a religion that's different than where you're at, or you're born with, you know, birth defects, or you're, you're born into a home that ends up divorcing, or you're born in a small town with shame in your family because somebody in your family is the person that murdered that guy, you know, um, a decade ago, or you're, you're a part of the family whose dad is a, is the town drunk, or you're, you're a part of that family whose grandfather was a sex offender. And when you're in a small town, sometimes the, the shame of a family member that can linger on. And these are dark rooms of our childhood. These are places that you can't control, right? These are things you, you just were given. Um, you didn't, you didn't choose them. They were brought on you. But if you continue in your adult years, if you choose to let your identity be wrapped around your childhood dark rooms, then you will always miss God's best for your adult years. Our childhood dark rooms, they, they were reality. It's what we were grazed in. It's what we had to endure. But they don't have to be our future. Some of us are carrying the weight of our childhood. Carrying the dark room of our childhood and you're still bearing the weight today. Like Esther, man, she could have been walking around, which the Bible doesn't give any indication that she did this. Woe is me, I will amount to nothing, I'm an orphan. You didn't hear that out of her mouth. it's it's not even portrayed in her character it's not even you know hinted at in her actions nor did she do that with the minority issue that she was being raised with this says that she was a lovely and a beautiful girl who was raised by her cousin and was treated like a daughter and then later in the in the book of esther you see this healthy respect that she has for mordecai this amazing love that she displays back to him, this incredible respect for his word and his authority, and she submits to it and follows it and honors it. She's a girl who didn't let the childhood identity depict who she was going to be in her latter years. She was going to take advantage of everything that God gave her and overcome the, the challenges of her past. So for you and me, if we're going to overcome those things, we have to pray and we have to consider, well, you know, uh, what, what you will allow and who you will allow to modify your identity. Those two things are crucial. What you're going to allow and who you're going to allow. Like, who will you make business partnerships with? Who will you allow into your inner circle of friends? Who will you allow to be your biggest influence on your life? These types of questions are the things we need to look at, pray about, consider deeply, line them up with God's Word. Who and what we allow to identify us is going to depict us either as Christ-centered or it's going to be pulling us away. My dad always used to tell me this nice little line, birds of a feather, they, they flock together. Right, trying to help me understand. Jeff, The Bible deals with a passage of Scripture that says bad company always corrupts good morals. That who you hang out with, you'll be guilty by association. Who you allow around you will depict who you're going to be, your identity. It's so powerful in this world in which we live in. So if we pick poorly, our identity will become corrupted. It won't be Christ-centered. And we won't let character be developed in the dark rooms right? But if we pick wisely, our identity will be healthy, preserved, and godly. So I'm just saying to some of you today, some of you you need to lay down your childhood dark rooms. You need to let them go. You need to stop complaining about them. You need to, you need to stop allowing them to influence your adult years. You need to take that pain of that dark room, take it to the altar, lay it down, and say, God, I didn't choose that. I didn't want it right? Some of you, I I don't know, I'm just going to say this, just just popping into my heart. Some of you were abused as children, very dark room. Don't let that identify the godly man or woman you want to be in the future, or you want to be today. Bring that pain to God, lay it down. That's not your identity. Your identity is in a God who loves you, he cares about you, he cherishes you, and he's fighting for you. Trust him. Don't let your dark rooms live in your adult years. Lay those down. So back to the story. Esther faced some obviously challenging situations in her childhood, but she had no idea some of the challenges that were getting ready to come her way. And the next one was gonna be a doozy. The next one, she found herself in these these, adolescent years, these upper teen years. Uh, Most likely she found herself being taken into the harem of the king of Persia the harem of King Xerxes. Now this wouldn't have been a voluntary thing. She wasn't asked about it. She was identified and then she was taken. She was taken right out of the home, taken out of the the leadership of Mordecai. She was taken. In fact, hundreds of young girls were taken all across the Persian empire. They didn't volunteer for this. They were taken like in a slavery type situation. It wasn't something that they could refuse. It wasn't something they could run away from. In fact, the culture of the time allowed for this pagan king to have this harem, right? And the the harem was being developed because the the king wanted to replace the old queen. And so he brings this harem together, and he's searching out of these hundreds of women for this one girl who is going to be elevated to be now the new queen. Esther was probably raised as well in a culture where she already knew she wasn't going to be able to pick her husband. Um, that there was going to be some sort of a, you know, arranged marriage of some sorts. And so this is where she finds herself. She finds herself recruited into the harem of the king. Esther, Esther was now in the contest to see of all these hundreds of girls, will she be the one chosen to be the queen of Persia or not? Now, listen, I got it. I'm not preaching this message today to try to justify, you know, some actions In fact, the harem idea and, you know, young girls being taken from their family and put into the situation. And in some ways, basically they're, they're becoming like a sex slave. I got it. I'm not, I'm not condoning that action at all. I'm not standing up here today suggesting that any of this, you know, and those actions of the king were right and that Esther should have ever been in that situation, but she was. And that's where she was living, and that was the culture at the time. And here we have this young woman who's in this severe dark room of this harem, which she knows she's being prepped and prepared for a day in the king's bed, right? And then after that, she'll either be remembered or she will never be remembered again. She's now being prepped for this one moment, this one night. So I'm not condoning it, but I am telling you this. In a dark room like that, there's a lot for us to learn. There's a lot for us to glean of what God will do for our lives even when the hellish dark of the darkest moments take place So Esther was included because she met all the requirements the requirements that they were looking for as young Beautiful and a virgin, but Esther was way more than that In fact, we know Esther was more than that because she gained the favor above all these hundreds of women She gained the favor of the manager of the harem the manager of the harem liked her so much, not in a sexual way, liked her so much that uh, he wanted to honor her. And so he he set her aside. He gave her a special place to live with special maids to take care of her. He made sure she got the finest of the best of the food. He made sure that she got pampered beyond anyone else you know, in, in the entire harem. Esther was given the most modern beauty supplies. She was given the most up-to-date oils and, um, and perfumes, and she was bathed in these things. Esther was pampered like a, like a woman going to a spa every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, a spa treatment every single day, a spa treatment. Husbands, Mother's Day, Spa treatment. That was my subtle way of getting something across. I'm fighting for you, moms. Here she finds herself in this place where, you know, the finest of clothing, the finest of perfumes, the manicures, the pedicures, it's all taking place. In fact, the Bible helps us understand the culture of the day that a woman would have been treated like this for 12 months straight. 12 months straight until her day was called and she was called to the bedroom of the king. One of the things that we know about Esther because scripture tells us this is that she didn't complain. She didn't attempt to escape, but she gave it her best, even in that dark room moment. That's an amazing woman that knowing what she's facing, she, she lives her life giving her best in such a way that she earns the favor of the manager of the harem Here's what Esther, chapter two, verse fifteen says: says that when it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai, the eunuch in charge of the harem. So there's the manager. She asked for nothing except what he suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw her. Here's this woman; she humbles herself enough to say, "Haggai, you've treated me so well. You know the king better than anyone. Tonight, I'm being called." Right, so I don't want to just do this on my own strength. I, I'm going to be the best of the best here, right? I'm gonna, I'm just, I'm doing, I'm doing this because God, you're still in control, and you know where I'm at. I'm just going to be the best that I can be. So dress me, put the right jewelry on me, put the right perfume on me. She humbles herself in the dark room. She didn't let the trial of the dark room make her bitter. You don't see a woman being bitter. You don't see a woman being angry. You don't see a woman being resentful. She trusts God to accomplish his work through her, even in the dark room. That's an amazing woman. Incredible woman. In the face of what she was dealing with to respond the way she did, That's a godly woman with incredible courage. I admire her. Here's what we can learn about her life. Here's what she teaches us about the dark room that character is developed when you walk in God's provision. Even though she was in this hellish dark room, she found the right attitude. And the right attitude is a deal breaker, right? She she chose to see the cup as half full versus half empty. She chose to look for the vein of God's favor even in the midst of her trial. And when she chose the vein of God's favor in the midst of this hellish dark room, she found rest. She found rest. She found security. She found her identity in Christ. Even in the midst of that hard time, as she's walking through the dark room, she finds God's provision, something really good for you and me to grab a hold of and for it to stand out to you. So when you trust, when you trust God's work in the dark room, that's the time when you can make the best of a bad situation. But to do, it, to do it, you're gonna have to do what Esther was doing. You're gonna have to allow the Holy Spirit to change your focus. Some of you, I mean, without glasses, you can't read a lick, right? Anybody here like that? Your arm is just not long enough, amen? All right, so we got glasses. Others of you, you have glasses because you're driving down the road, you couldn't see the sign down the road to save your life. So you got glasses, so you can see down the road. And you put the right glasses on, all of a sudden, everything comes into what? Focus, you can see clearly now. The rain is gone. I can see all. Thank you. All right. Everyone's here like, hey, we're Christians. Don't sing non-Christian songs. Okay, whatever. Um, here's what we do, right? you got to allow the Holy Spirit. Go to the Holy Spirit. You're in your dark room moment, and you're looking around, and you're like, I don't see God anywhere in this hellish situation. All right? I don't see him anywhere. Go and ask the Holy Spirit to open up your eyes, to change your focus so that you can see the best in a worst situation. There's what, that's what Esther's doing. Esther's in a harem. She knows what she's being prepped for. She knows every spa day is leading to a night in a bedroom. Maybe a bedroom she doesn't want to go to, a place she doesn't want to be in, but that's what she's being led to. But instead, she sees things from a different perspective. I'm telling you, that's because the Holy Spirit's work allows someone to let their eyes be refocused and they can see clearly when the Holy Spirit helps them. Seek him. Ask him to change your focus. Here's another thing, though. Listen to the perspective of godly friends around you. Right? Because when you, you're going to get blinded in a dark room, like, when you're in a dark room, um, your pupils will dilate. Like, think about a dark room itself. Like, all the lights are turned out. Your pupils dilate. Now, isn't it a lot of fun just to be thrown immediately right onto a bright, sunny day? don't you just look around and go, I can just see so Amazing. No, when your pupils will dilate and you're thrown from dark into light, what happens? Man, you're squinting and you can't see and everything's got a glare on it and until your pupils readjust. So when we're in a dark room situation, we need godly friends who are standing in the light and they can see clearly and they can look into the dark room and they can go, look, you're headed in the wrong direction. You're not seeing things clearly. You're not seeing them from the right perspective. Listen to what I see. You need people like that. We need one another. That's why life groups are so important. We need that wisdom that can only come from a friend who's standing in the light. All of us are going to walk through dark room moments. You're going to be more thankful when you've got a close network of godly friends around you that are developed in a life group. Because when you go through that hellish time, you're going to need some people to speak into your life and give you some clear direction. But lastly, once you start to see it, praise God for it. A lot of our prayers in the dark room are, God, deliver me. Let me just encourage you that when you're in a dark room and you find God's provision there, that's a great opportunity to start praising God. God, you are with me even in the darkest of the dark room moments. And then these will be the results of your dark room. Like for Esther in chapter 2, verse 17. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women she was so, uh, he was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. When, when you're able to find God's provision in the midst of a dark room, it's incredible what God can do. God can take an orphan, a minority Jew living in the Persian empire, and he can exalt her and lift her and put her all the way to the place where she is queen. Only God can do those things. And there's so much more to this story that I can't tell you. you, you got to go and you got to read the story of Esther. But let me just kind of quickly wrap it up here. By God's perfect timing, right? Not by chance, not by accident, not by happenstance, but by God's perfect timing, while, while Esther is the queen, a wicked man by the name of Haman, he plotted to kill the Jews that were living in the Persian Empire. So Haman is king Xerxes, right-hand man. He goes to the king. He says, listen, man, we got to kill all these Jews. Here's the problems. A, B, C, D. This is how we should do it. This is the way it should go down. And the king goes, hey, man, you're second in command. If you think that needs to happen, then we're going to do it. When are we going to do it? And they go, well, let's cast lots. Let's cast lots. Let's make a decision. So they they cast these lots and they determined March the 7th, almost a year from this date, is going to be the day when we slaughter the Jews and we annihilate them and we wipe them out of existence. We no longer have to deal with them in this Persian empire. So on that day they, they made a declare and they sent it out throughout the land. That on March the 7th, if you kill a Jew you get all of their, their land, you get anything that they own, every resource they have now becomes yours. Mordecai is a Jew, the cousin of Esther. He hears about this on the street. Esther doesn't hear about it. Esther's the queen. The queen kind of gets, you know, pushed aside, kind of left over here until the queen until the king wants to hear from her. Right? So she's living over here, kind of in her own little la la land, and while these rules and, and edicts are being made and they get thrown out into the streets, and Mordecai hears about it. So Mordecai makes sure that the word gets back to Esther. Esther, your king. He's getting ready to slaughter all of your family members. Everyone is going to go down in a blazing fire. Now, up to this point, the king doesn't even know that Esther's a Jew. Mordecai told her, hey, keep your mouth shut on that issue, right, until I tell you later. And she's been honoring him all of this time. Even while she's the queen, she's still honoring the cousin who raised her. That's how much respect she has for him. So the king has just now made a declare, a declaration that all Jews should be killed. And that means even his queen, but he doesn't know it yet. So Mordecai is telling Esther, you gotta go tell the king, you gotta shut this down, you gotta use your influence with this. But Esther was worried, like, what will happen for two reasons. One, I can't just walk into the king's court. Like, you walk into the king's court unannounced, and man, you're dead on the spot. They'll slaughter you. They'll just put you down with the sword. Or they'll go hang you in the gallows. You don't just walk in there. The queen doesn't even walk in there. And then secondly, she knows that this declaration has just been made that Jews should be slaughtered and should be killed. So she's worried about what to do. Then Mordecai tells her these words in Esther chapter 4. If you keep quiet at a time like this, Esther, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. Pause. Mordecai, a man of God, saying this. Esther, you either wield your influence or God's going to do it another way. Right? But if you let God do it another way, you need to know this. But you and your relatives, they're going to die. So it's either, it's either you, God's going to do something miraculous. I'm believing that. But if you don't do something, then we're all going to die. And that includes you. Who knows, Esther, if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Not by accident, but by God's provision. So one of the things you need to know today is this. The dark room and your character being developed, God does have a stage for you that he's gonna put you on for such a time that's gonna bring him glory. Because she's standing on the stage. She is the queen. So what does this young woman do? Here's what she does two verses later. Okay, okay, Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink, For three days, you know, night or day. First off, what does she say? Go and fast for me. What does she mean by that? Go before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Pray. Fast. Seek Him. We need His wisdom. We need His favor. We have to find His provision in the midst of of this dark room moment. He, he needs to help guide us in this moment where we don't know exactly what to do. And then she says, not only will you do that, but my maids and I will we'll do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I'm going to go in to see the king. I'm going to go into his courts. If, if, if I must die, then I must what? I must die. That's where she's at. She's at this place where she's showing us something about character. Character might be developed in the dark room. But here's the deal. Character gets tested while on the stage. It gets developed in the dark room, but it gets tested on the stage. The stage is where character gets put to the ultimate test. And if you shine on the stage, God gets the glory. And if you don't shine on the stage, then there's massive repercussions that come. for. For uh, Esther, she shines on the stage and she glorifies God and the, the people get delivered. She, she doesn't shine in that moment and she gets scared and she doesn't say anything to the king. Then the people get slaughtered. There's massive ramifications. Why is it so important that we let God do what he wants to do in the dark room? Because it's going to get tested on the stage. Esther stays quiet. Bad things take place. Esther gets bold and she does what God's called her to do. Amazing things happen. What do we see Esther do? Exercise the Christ-centered character that was developed in the dark room. And she basically says, God's agenda is even more important than my own life. And she allowed godly character to shine through her testing. She knew that she needed help beyond herself. That's why she calls for the fast. And Esther found an incredible wisdom, an incredible favor, an incredible provision from God that in the end, it saved the Jewish people. The Jewish people weren't just saved on March 7th, they thrived on March 7th and on March 8th as well. Just the opposite of what Haman wanted to have happen, of slaughtering the Jews, just the opposite took place. And the Jews, they saw their enemies wiped out and they saw their status in the Persian Empire increase. Just the opposite. Why? Because one young woman who learned godly character in the dark room let it shine on the stage. To this very day, the Jewish people, they celebrate a holiday, Purim. They celebrate this holiday and they remember Esther. Even in the year 2017, they're going to do it. They take an entire day. One of the customs is to read the story of Esther so the next generation knows of the deliverance of God and how God preserved and saved his people through this queen, Queen Esther. So moms, here's what I want to say to you today. I want you just to remember this. If you honor God today, the next generation, your children, your children's children, and most likely your great-grandchildren will remember the legacy of your Christ-centeredness. Just like the Jews celebrate the Christ-centeredness of Esther to this very day, your legacy will be remembered. Live foolishly, live for self, right? Let your guard down. Let the enemy ravage your own heart and ravage the the lives of your children, and you'll never be remembered. No one will ever celebrate you. Not that we live life to be celebrated, but I'm telling you this, if you want to leave a legacy that the next generation feeds off of and they celebrate and they're thankful for, live a Christ-centered legacy, and your life will be celebrated for generations to come. I still remember often, my mind is taken back to the memory of my grand, my grandparents, my two grandmothers. On my mom's side and my dad's side, these two women were godly women in their own ways. One was so gentle and so sweet and so overcoming of obstacles. The other one was so bold, right, and would stand up and would speak truth to you. And these two women, man, are incredible bookends for my life. And I love those I love those two grandmothers that God gave me. I look at my mom, and I think to myself, man, the legacy of my mom will live on, not only is it living on in my kids, it's going to live on in, in my grandchildren, and it will live on probably in the generation after that as well. She will be remembered because she is a woman of God who has overcome many obstacles. She knows what it's like to keep joy in the midst of a dark room. She's a woman who knows what it's like to point me back to Jesus in a loving way, not a condemning way. She's a woman who has overcome many, many obstacles, but she's always kept hope and peace in God. The legacy of my mom will be lived on in my, in my kids, in my grandkids, and my great-grandchildren. That's what I mean, moms. Be just like Esther. You choose, you choose to let God do what he wants to do in the dark room and you let your, your, your character be tested on the stage and you shine bright for Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, the very thing you want to do with your motherhood, you want to affect the next generation for Christ, it will happen. And just like the Jews, they celebrate Esther. The next generations will celebrate you as well. So if there's one big massive takeaway we can grab from the story of Esther, it's this. Honor God in the dark room, and He'll be faithful on the stage for you. You honor God in the, in the dark room, He'll be faithful when you're on His stage to let you shine for Him and to shine brightly for Him. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, today we're reminded that you have complete power and authority. That in this world there's going to be dark room moments that are out of our control, and that when we finally get to the stage and we're like, "Whew, okay, that season's over." That the testing of that character now just begins. For some of us, Lord, we've been complaining about standing on the stage and our character being tested. May we trust you that our characters tested so that you can get the glory. Trying times come, even when we're on the stage, even when we're out of the dark room, because, Lord, it gives an opportunity for you to receive the glory. So today, in our time of worship, in our time of response to you, on this Mother's Day, may we seek you with all of our heart, no matter what status we're in right now, no matter what difficult thing we're in, whether it's in our control or out of our control, may we choose to find your grace, your provision in the midst of the dark room. May our identity in this room, may it, be, may it be centered on the cross of Christ, not the dark rooms of our childhood. So Lord, we trust you today. We just want to say that. We do trust you. We want your will to be done in us and through us so this world might see the glory of God, the world might see Jesus, and maybe one more person would walk into relationship with you. Lord, we worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.